I like that song. I speak Jesus. Boy, it says so much, doesn't it? And I really appreciated the heartfelt uh, leading that the team had with us this morning. I want to thank Melanie again. We have some men away this weekend. Uh, they're away at a retreat. And so uh, we're operating with a crew that is all volunteers and they love Jesus. And uh, it's, it's seen and felt. I also want to thank Pastor Eric. Uh, Pastor Eric was up last week and preached a great sermon last week about the Holy Spirit. I was obviously scheduled to be here, but I was not because many of you know that my mother passed away uh, two Saturdays ago, and I'll have more to say about that in just a few minutes, but I want to thank not just Pastor Eric for preaching last week, but for so many of you who've reached out with cards and phone calls and text messages and Facebook posts and all other ways that you've said that uh, you love us and we feel that. And again, I'll have more to say about mom in in just a little bit. While we are continuing in this series that we've been in through the fall called The Upper Room Discourse. And this is one of Jesus' longest sections of teaching to his disciples, only second in the Bible to the Sermon on the Mount. So this is a long one. And this has the distinction of being his preparation for his disciples before his death. So remember, they're gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to leave that upper room and go out to the Mount of Olives and specifically the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be arrested and then is going to be the course the next day of all of his trials, his beating, and ultimately his crucifixion. And really, the disciples are clueless about all of this. How could they know exactly what was going to happen? But Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples, and there's a whole lot of confusion in the room that night at the upper room. Speaking of confusion, there is something that's been happening in Louisiana that is kind of uh, rare, but it's been happening this last month. And there is this thing called a super fog that has been descending upon portions of Louisiana. And it's the combination of fog and wildfires that have come together to create such a dense fog that is descending upon highways and, 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 and passageways that really people can't see and they're having humongous accidents. I've got an accident here that is a pileup on one of the highways in Louisiana caused by this super fog, 168 vehicles involved in that accident. There were eight people that died in it and another 63 people injured. Obviously, they took that picture uh, later in the day at the point at which the fog had cleared. But imagine driving down the freeway and all of a sudden there is a fog so dense you cannot see anything ahead of you and you're just piling into the cars that are ahead of you. One car, even over here, obviously into some kind of a, a, a passageway or a waterway of some kind. And so it just, you know, a, a, atrocious really what has been happening there. And again, what I want to really point out here is this super fog kind of came out of nowhere. It exists and it's now obscuring all of your ability to see everything around you. Sometimes that can happen in life. And that is what has happened that night with the disciples. They're in a super fog. They're confused. They don't know what's happening. And Jesus is going to attempt to help remove that fog from them. But boy, it's just thick right now. And they really don't know exactly what's happening. And so they're stumbling all around. We're going to be reading the passage as it's, again, written by John, who was there that night. So again, he has a good perspective on that. 
And this is what John records. I'm in chapter 16 today, John chapter 16, and I'm starting in verse 16, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. This is the way that John records the super fog that the disciples are in that night. A little while, and you will see me no longer. This is Jesus speaking. A little while, and you'll see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this? He says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have uh, believed that I'm from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not uh, speaking, uh, speaking a figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, So, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed is come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This little phrase, a little while, is stumbling the disciples. They have no idea what Jesus means by a little while. It's just like it's burrowed their way into them. They can't figure it out and they're trying to ask each other even, what does he mean by this? And Jesus notices that they can't figure it out and so he says, Let me explain this to you. 
A little while is a word that Jesus is using here to mean the period of time between his death and his resurrection. And so he's saying, I want to tell you about this three-day period that's coming right on the horizon. In fact, it's going to begin tonight once we leave this spot in the upper room and we go to Gethsemane. It's going to begin. And so he's wanting to educate them and bring them up to speed about this three-day period that's going to be coming on the horizon. More importantly, he's also talking about his work on the cross, and his work is going to change so much. The crucifixion, or the cross, is the singular event in all of human history. So much of human history changed at that moment, and so many things are changing in the world as a result of the cross. Our lives have become better because of the cross, and Jesus is preparing his disciples for what happens and what changes are going to happen as a result of the cross. Today, that's what I want to talk to you about, the things that have changed as a result of the cross. That's what Jesus was preparing his disciples for all those years ago, and that's what he is preparing us for today, is to say what changes happened as a result of Jesus on that cross. Well, first, through the cross, sorrow turns to joy. The disciples have no idea that just, uh, just a few hours from now, they're going to be dismayed, they're going to be overtaken, they're going to be under a complete desolation. Why? Because Jesus is going to go like a criminal to a cross, a Roman cross. And they had, had views of Jesus, again, being crowned as a king, not crucified as a criminal. And so again, they're going to be overtaken with this sorrow that's beyond belief. And so Jesus speaks to them, verse 20, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. The world is going to be giddy with excitement, ex excited beyond belief, because again, this, this man who's just been, uh, you know, a rock in the heel, he, he's just been constantly, you know, stepping on the toes of all the religious leaders. Finally, this nuisance is going to be done away with, but that's going to be leading to utter dismay for the disciples. And so Jesus gives them an analogy. He says, let me explain something to you about what this is like. He says, this is like a woman who gives birth to a baby. And I have never met a woman who says, that birth process, I just love every bit of that. That, that never happens, all right? I mean, that's why epidurals were developed, is to try to take women outside of that pain. But this is what you can see almost every time a woman gives birth to a baby and suddenly that baby is in her arms and you see the chemistry between mother and baby and it's as if that pain is now in, in, in a distant past. I mean, it's just, it's transported that quickly. It's like one moment she's in this intense pain and the next moment she is transported into this joy of having this baby here. And some women even have multiple children, so they go through that again and again. And so it's like, you know, wow, think about that. Here's what Jesus is saying, and this is why he's used this analogy. The vehicle that is delivering this intense pain is also the vehicle that delivers this tremendous joy. The vehicle of the pain is what is used in order to transport this person and this new life into this extreme time of joy. And Jesus is saying, that's the way you're going to feel, disciples, 
you're going to feel an intense amount of anguish, an intense amount of mourning, but you're going to feel a resulting joy that's going to come from that. All right, let me just take a minute because you know that this has been a mourning week for me and my family. And I'm going to apply this passage to hopefully to our lives, to our, our lives as a family and our lives as a church. My mother uh, has been in hospice care for a number of months now. And I visit her regularly. And it was uh, two Saturdays ago that I had gone to her house. That, that week, she was not really doing very well. In fact, she was just very tired. And each time I would visit her, she would just say, man, I've been sleeping all day today. And I noticed that as the week wore on, her voice got even a little shallower. And so I was visiting her the day before Saturday, Friday. I visited her on Friday and she could barely even say words. I knew she was still speaking complete sentences because I could read her lips. But her voice was so shallow that I was just like really leaning in and say, mom, repeat that again because I'm reading your lips because I can't even hear your voice. So she's getting weaker. Saturday rolls around. I, I arrived at about two o'clock in the afternoon. I came bedside and I reached out and held mom's arm and I said, whoa, cold and clammy. And so I reached up and I grabbed her face into my hands and I said, mom, it's Brian. I'm here. You know, are, are, can you respond to me? No response. So I said, wow, I think I better call the hospice uh, group, Evergreen. And, and uh, so they sent a, a nurse out. Meanwhile, I texted the family, and Megan happened to be in the area with her fiancé, so she came over. Denise stopped to walk a little bit early, and she came over, so we're all bedside now, and we managed to sing over mom, and we managed to pray over mom, and give some final uh, wishes to mom. And um, even my son from Southern California came in by FaceTime and, and, and greeted grandma and just said, grandma, how much we love you. So everybody's, you know, giving well wishes here and giving prayers over grandma. The nurse arrives and the nurse says, after a little bit of examination, yes, your mom has transitioned into the phase that we call active dying. And so, again, she says, I can't tell you whether that this is going to be hours or it's going to be days, but, you know, prepare yourselves. If there's any other family that needs to talk to her or see her, now would be the time to do that. I said, no, we, we're pretty good there. We've, you know, managed for everybody to have words to her and prayers to her, so we're, we're good for that. And so, again, we're sitting there, and we're like, okay, all right, that, that day that we've kind of waited for is, is here now. Now, I remember my father's passing. This has been more than a decade ago. And my father's passing, we were at bedside. I was at bedside five days. It was a, a long, long process to watch my father die. And I remember, again, watching him kind of wear down in those last days. And I remember that kind of death rattle that was within his, his chest and within his breathing at that moment. My mom was there. She was breathing rather shallowly, but she was still, you know, breathing. And, uh, you know, she was just, uh, again, looking very much like she was at peace. There was no anguish on her, etched in her face at all. And so I said to the family, I said, you know, we better prepare ourselves because this could be a while. And so, you know, again, we, we need to prepare ourselves for the long haul here. I said, you know what? It's probably good. We're all, it's about dinner time. Why don't, Denise, why don't you and Kelly, Megan's fiance, why don't you guys go get us something to eat? And Megan and I will stay here, and then we'll have some dinner together, and then we'll decide what we want to do tonight. 
Great, great plan. All right, so they leave. Megan and I are sitting there. The nurse, as the caregiver, comes in and says, you know, Iris has been working all day. She's kind of sweaty. And so she said, you know, I'd just like to get some warm water and just gently go over her face and over her body and just, just kind of relieve her a little bit of some of that, that work and just the strain that's been happening. We said, great idea. So Megan and I are sitting there, and they start to take the cloth and wash her face and then her neck area, and they propped her up a little bit, and they started to go along her back. And all of a sudden, my mom gives a shrug like that. She says, oh, she just shrugged. And Megan looks up and says, did she just stop breathing? And she said, yes, she did. She's gone. And this was less than an hour from when the hospice nurse had been with us. Now, again, I'm very grateful for that because I prayed for months that the Lord would take my mom gently, mercifully, and boy, did I see that play out in front of my eyes. Now, I will tell you this. Death is still a sorrowful thing. I will not see my mom again in this life. My rhythm of every Monday of being with mom is now changed. And I, I'm not even sure I completely understand how that's changed. Uh, holidays together, birthdays together. My mom loved politics, just talking politics that would just be life-giving to her. I know it's not for many people, but it was for my mom, all right? And so again, th that's all changed. Here's what I want you to hear. In all things with Christ, sorrow turns to joy. How can that be? Well, we are promised as followers of Jesus that this is not the end. In fact, you get to jettison a body that is a decaying body and you get to trade it for one that the scriptures call incorruptible. It's never dying. It's never decaying. And I don't know when that body is given. I don't, I don't, I, the timing of all that, I'm not quite sure about. But this is what I do know. That's what's promised for my mom. A, a woman that was in excruciating pain her last number of months is going to be receiving that new body. Furthermore, we are told in scriptures that all that mourning and all that sorrow turns to joy because we will be together again as the family of God. Not just my family, not just the Boone family, but the family of God. And all of that sorrow is transmitted into all of that joy and that's what Jesus' plan is. And it, you know, this is one example of it. There's a hundred examples of it, a thousand examples of it. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to stop you from feeling a level of sorrow and anguish in this life. That's part and parcel for what it means to be human. But I'm going to turn that sorrow into joy. And that is accomplished through the cross. Wow! amazing stuff. I could practically just stop right there today and say, man, sermon preached. This is a great passage. Thank you, Jesus. And we would be ready to go. But no, he has more. He has more to share with us about how the cross changes things. Second thing that happens through the cross is prayer is answered in Jesus' name. Prayer is answered in Jesus' name. Jesus says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask 
in my name. Up until this moment, the disciples had free access with Jesus. They would go up, they'd interact with Jesus, they had meals with Jesus, they'd ask questions of Jesus. Everything was directly in relation to their face-to-face meeting with Jesus. As a result of the cross, that dynamic was about ready to change. As a result of the cross, Jesus is paving the way for the disciples to be able to speak directly to the Father. Now, you got to put on your Jewish hat for a moment in order to be able to get this. Because if you're Jewish, you know that you lived in a time in which the priest or the priesthood was everything. I needed a priest in order to be able to go and talk with God. The priest would offer a sacrifice on my behalf. The priest would mediate for me and talk to God on my behalf. And so again, this priest is the one that stands as a go-between between you and God that you wanted to talk to. Jesus is saying that dynamic is about ready to change and I'm giving you, as a result of me, direct access to the Father. You will have the ability to talk directly to him and that is something that's changing radically because you're going to talk to him in my name. Now, I want to remind you again what Jesus says around the the context of this passage. He's saying that he has left the earth, he's lived his life, and now he's returned to God. In fact, I have a little picture here that I hope kind of paints that picture. I know it's a very simple one, but Jesus is there, and it should be an arrow that goes all the way down. The arrow goes down, the arrow goes across as Jesus is living his life. He comes from heaven, lives his life that culminates at the cross and then ascends and goes back up to the Father. And so all of that is happening and Jesus is saying, that's my plan. That's, that's what I've done the whole time. I plan to come to you from God. I plan to return to God the Father and I plan to live my life in such a way that I'm now doing something for you that you couldn't do for yourself and I'm giving you access because the, the Father is, is willing to grant that on my behalf. I'm giving you access to the Father that you have never had before because the Father is so honored by the life of Jesus and because you're riding his coattails, you now have access to the Father. Now, what does it mean to, to actually ask something or to pray to God and say in Jesus' name, because we oftentimes use that code as Christians, right? We end prayers with in Jesus' name, comes from this passage right here. And Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you access to the Father for you to pray in my name, and you're going to be praying things that I would be pleased to answer, that the Father would be pleased to have you request. So again, I'm going to have something to tell you a little bit about what to do and not do in that in just a moment. But that's what's happening here is Jesus is giving special access to the Father that you have not experienced before or at that time the disciples had not experienced before because of his life and the honor that he gave to God in his life. He's saying, it's like I've opened a door for you. Let me give you an example. There's some time in our lives that I think we experience that kind of special treatment, that kind of easy access. And Denise and I were chatting about this just the other day. We have a son who had seizures when he was little. And it, and it was petrifying, by the way. We would watch John get rather warm and, and kind of hot. And then we'd watch him go limp. His eyes would go back in the back of his head. And we're like, we, we're freaked out, all right? I mean, we, we did not know how to handle this. And one of the things that we would do is oftentimes get him into some cold water in the bathtub. 
And that happened one night. He has a seizure. And so Denise puts him into the bathtub and she says, call Dr. Cram. Now, Dr. Cram was a doctor that lived next door to us. Call Dr. Cram and let him know what's happening. And so we call Dr. Cram and he comes over and he says, yeah, he's having a seizure. And so he says, you know, we need to get him to the hospital. He said, I want you to load him up right now. I want you to take him down there. I'm calling ahead. And so you go down to the hospital, to the ER, and I'll meet you there. So we load John into the car. We step out of the car. We carry his body in. And they say, oh, Boone family, Dr. Cram called ahead. You come right with us. We bypass that whole check-in system. We bypass any waiting in the lobby. When have you ever been in the ER that it wasn't a nightmare, all right? Nobody wants to go there. We bypass all that. They take us back immediately. Dr. Cram told us he's on the way. And so they begin to care for him, boom, like that. Dr. Cram and the name of Dr. Cram and the call of Dr. Cram made all the difference in the world and we had access to the ER like never before. That's what Jesus is saying to you. I am giving you access to the Father because of me, because of my life, because of what I've extended to you as followers of mine. I'm now giving access to you to the Father like you have never had before. Now there's two dangers in using Jesus' name that I want to bring to your attention. One of them Jesus brings to our attention. And one of the things that Jesus says is when you're coming, you're saying, and I'm praying this in Jesus' name, you may have a wrong view about God. In fact, you may view that the Father is rather uncaring, rather standoffish. Like, you know, Jesus is willing to give me some time. Jesus is my bud, but the Father, mm, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't really want to talk to me so much. I'm a kid that's just like out of sight, out of mind. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't, do not get that view about the Father. In fact, I want to read you what Jesus says. It's verse uh, 26, I believe. Is that what it is? Let's see here. Yes, verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I'll ask the Father. Stop right there. Listen to that. Listen to what Jesus just said. I'm not saying to you that you're going to come to me and then I'm going to go to the Father. That's not what's going to happen here. I'm giving you access to the Father and here's what he says. Because the Father himself loves you. So don't get the idea that Jesus is this loving one and could be a good friend and the Father's not. No. The Father is saying, I love you and Jesus has granted this access to me now your sins are forgiven. You're okay with me, so let's talk. And Jesus is saying, this is what's happening to you now. And the Father has always had every motivation, every desire, every purpose to have a love and intimacy with you. Second, you might think that Jesus' name is a magic code. So you use Jesus' name and you throw it around like, uh, abracadabra, boom, you know, I mean, uh, so you, it's some kind of a little code, and if I can add that on, it's like it supercharges everything, and makes it so that I get what I want, and that's not the right idea here, Jesus is not saying, my, my name is a talisman, I mean, I, you just use it so that you get your goodies, no, he's not saying that at all, he's saying, you use my name because you're using my presence, my honor, you're using my name as my character is what you're coming in. 
And that's, that's why God is responding is because he loves the son. As a result, he's loving you. And so you're using my name as the representative that's accomplished this on your behalf. You now have acceptance before God. And that's why he's motivated to listen and to respond to your prayers. And Jesus even says, you know, to, to answer whatever it is that you want. Now, Jesus is saying that conditioned upon the idea that, you know, you're asking something that is within his will. You're asking something that he himself would want to grant and would want to honor. So, anyway, we really see as a result of the cross, we have brand new access to the Father that we've never had before. Here's number three. Third, through the cross, Jesus tells his disciples plainly about God. He says in verse 25, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, here's what we have to know. Jesus taught most of the time in parables. Most of the time, Jesus uses examples from everyday life that everybody would be able to follow, and they would be like, yes, you're talking about seeds being sown in a field. I just did that yesterday. I'm following along with you. And so it it was easy to follow the stories that Jesus gave. Here's what was not easy. It was not easy to always be able to translate that to your spiritual life. I see what you're talking about from a farming standpoint, but I don't see what you're talking about from actually applying that to my spiritual condition. And so Jesus is, again, he's constantly talking to the crowds in these figures of speech or in these parables. And oftentimes he's doing this catch this, I mean, I I know this is going to kind of blow you all away here, because it did me again just to think about this again this week. He's doing this purposefully to hide what he's saying to the masses. What? Why would Jesus do that? Why is he hiding a portion of what he says to the masses? He's speaking in this kind of language to be intriguing so that people will come along, but oftentimes they don't have attention or they don't have heart condition to actually want to know desperately what he's saying. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 13, verse 11. This is what Jesus says to his disciples, to you, to the disciples. It has been been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, the masses, it has not been given. So Jesus was perfectly willing to go and say, I'm telling stories, I'm telling all this, and people are hanging out because they want to hear something, but they're not hanging out long enough to really find out what it means. It was the disciples who went by the fireside later that night and said, Jesus, we have to be honest with you. We love the story, all right, but didn't understand a word of it. Could you explain it to us? And Jesus is like, oh, you, you little of faith. Yeah, let me take some time and let me go ahead and explain this and unpack it for you. And oftentimes he did. In fact, the scriptures even record that he tells the disciples what it means to sow seeds in the field. You know, he tells them what it means to fish and separate fish into different groups. He tells them those kinds of things. So they're the ones that get the, 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 the real truth about Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. This is, what, this is the point he's making right now. I'm done with that. I'm no longer going to speak in parables anymore. Now, when I come to you, I am coming directly with language that you can completely understand. And it's like, Jesus, how are you going to accomplish that? Because you're not even on earth anymore. You're with the Father, and now you're going to say you're going to speak to us very plainly. What do you mean by that? Well, just last week, we found out that the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide his followers into all truth. So Jesus is now saying the language that's being spoken to you is the language from the Holy Spirit to disclose truth to you about God and the nature of Jesus. 
And that's the role of the Holy Spirit, is to do that job of convincing you, of, of helping you, of guiding you to know the truth about God. And it's not being done in figures of speech. It's not being done in vague ways. It's being done directly by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so he is being clearer than he's ever been before. And that's as a result of the cross. Let me give you an example of that that I know has happened in my own life. We're coming upon the Christmas season. And if you've been a parent for very long, you know that one of the very frustrating things is that you can get some kind of a toy or electronic device or something that has got to be built the night before Christmas. And you know, you just, you know that's just gonna become problematic, all right? And you break that toy out, and you remember back in the day, you'd break it out and you'd go, and it was the paper instructions. And you'd just groan at that because you're like, put rod L into slot D with screw number one and don't over tighten to, you know, I mean, it's just, it's hieroglyphics, all right? I mean, you just can't get it. And it's hard. It's, it's hard to accomplish that. The invention that happened a number of years ago now is a YouTube video. <laughs> and you take those paper things and you just throw them away and you watch the video and it like shows you how to build this thing. And it's like, this is awesome. I can see it. I can see you put the rod in. I can see uh, how this whole thing goes now. And the YouTube video is way better than the paper instructions that are probably printed in another language anyway. So, I mean, this is really the way to go about it. That's what Jesus is telling us, is I'm coming to speak in plain language. I'm coming to speak in ways that are making much more sense to you, and I'm done with the figures of speech, and that's what I'm going to accomplish through the cross. All right, there's one more I want you to see. And the final thing, the fourth thing that happened as a result of the cross is Jesus has now bring peace to his followers because he has overcome the world. Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Can I say that again? In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The world is a word used in the scriptures oftentimes to denote Satan's attempts or Satan's control over the world and its system. And oftentimes, again, Satan and his world are in opposition not just to God, but they're in opposition to the followers of God, the children of God, the people of God, the family of God. He is in opposition to that. And so he's constantly putting stumbling blocks before us, temptations before us, ways to try to keep us from following God's path. Jesus says that he is the one who has beaten Satan's system. He's got victory. He's overcome the world. He's accomplished his death and resurrection. Therefore, he has now conquered sin and death. Those are no more. And so he has literally overcome the world and he's saying to us, you have the ability to actually overcome the world too as a result of me. 
in order to help you understand this, I recently discovered that there was a word in 2022 that was just a new word that was added to a dictionary. The Collins English Dictionary added this word just last year. I don't know what they're going to add in 2023, but in 2022, the word that they added to the dictionary was permacrisis. Permacrisis. Permacrisis is a noun meaning an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. So we have had a series of permacrisis around the world because of the Ukraine and now the Israel war, surging inflation, poor relationships between U.S. and Russia and China, threats of terrorism, I could go on. And a permacrisis embodies this dizzying sense of lurching from one unprecedented event to another as people with horror watch, you know, when's the next shoe going to drop? And so permacrisis is a word. I think it's, it's actually a good word and a good explanation for what we're all experiencing in our lives today. Jesus steps in and says, I'm not surprised at permacrisis. I, I would use that word too. But here's what I do want you to know. I have overcome the world. I win. I win. And as a result, you win. And so Jesus is giving us this fantastic news that he has overcome the world and he's above it all. Even as dark as it might appear, he has overcome. As we apply this to our lives today, I want to take you back to a story that occurred a number of years ago. It's a a cemetery that is in Little Rock, Arkansas. Calvary Cemetery, actually, what a name. Calvary Cemetery had a 14-foot bronze cross that was near the entrance to the cemetery. And a number of years ago, there were some thieves that came and stole the bronze cross. The police began to investigate and try to figure out what had happened to the cross. They looked all over to try to find it. Maybe it was going to be sold somewhere. Never found hide nor hair of it. And so they conjectured that the people who who stole the cross probably cut it up in a bunch of little pieces and sold it as scrap metal, as bronze scrap metal. They said they had no idea that that cross was valued at $10,000 at that time. That's probably a low number even for today, but at that time, $10,000. They had no idea that they sold it for scrap metal for what they estimate to probably be $450. They had no idea that it had been at that cemetery for 80 years and was first planted there by a Catholic bishop who had started actually that cemetery. The thieves figured that that 900-pound cross probably was more valuable as scrap than it was actually for what it was as the outlook, as it were, over the cemetery. Here's the problem. Understanding the value of the cross is the problem. The thieves had no idea the value of the cross. And if they would, they wouldn't have done what they did with it. They probably wouldn't have stolen it in the first place if they understood the value of the cross. People didn't understand the value of Jesus' life at the time, and they certainly didn't understand the value of his death. As these followers of his, these 2,000 years later, I'm hoping that we do and that we don't underestimate the value of the cross. Because through the cross, 
So much in our world has changed. Sure, we've gotten forgiveness. We've gotten new life. As if those are insignificant or little things. But it's beyond that. It's even more than that. Jesus has said, as a result of the cross, I'm turning your sorrow to joy. As a result of the cross, I'm giving you new access to the Father. As a result of the cross, I'm speaking to you more clearly than ever before. As a result of the cross... I'm giving you peace because I have overcome the world and I'm asking you today, which of those is most important to you? Which is the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to take special note of that. I want you to take special note of being thankful to me because I have delivered that to you through the cross. I want you to take a moment today and I want you to let that course in your veins just a little bit more that human history has changed as a result of the cross. Appreciate the cross and appreciate all that God has accomplished through it for his glory and for your benefit. Lord, thank you for this passage, all kinds of things that have come as a result of the cross. Your death, your resurrection, your ascension has changed the fundamental landscape of life, and we acknowledge that today. Friends, I I have friends here, Lord, I know today that some are in deep water. They face a crisis like maybe never before, and you're going to turn that sorrow into joy one day. Some of us need a greater access, and, and, and we're thankful that you've given that to us as a result of Jesus. You've said, I've given you access to the Father. We want to camp on that. We want to use that. And Lord, we need to be delivered from the darkness that's all around us. And so we're so grateful that you have been a Savior who has come in order to overcome the world. We thank you for that. Lord, you're good in all the things that you do. And we constantly are are just so grateful for the way that you lead your life and as a result, our lives. We thank you with humbled hearts, and we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.